Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us today, um, to be with us today. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to come before you, Lord. You are our champion, Father. And, and as we even sing those words, we recognize and we say them with confidence that you truly are undefeated, Lord. Even though when we look and when we see and we walk and we move in the everyday life, Father, we oftentimes wonder, Lord, are you really the champion, right? Lord, as we think and as we do war, for we recognize that the war, the weapons of our flesh, the, the war that we're engaging are not of the flesh, not of this world, but they're spiritual in mind. And so, Father, we pray that we would bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, Father, because we love you. We declare your name. And Father, as we continue on in our series, help us, Lord, not only to be hearers of your word, to be doers. Help us, Father, to be obedient. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name that we pray. Amen and amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. We're going to look at um, all the way um, from 18 to 30, but we're going to be kind of skipping over. We've already read the kind of the, the first um, passage. It's talking about the kingdom of God. And Jesus asked the question, what should the kingdom of God, right, ought to look like? Or what is the kingdom of God like? Or what can we compare it to? And Jesus gives us some examples. But before I kind of jump into that, I think it's really important as we kind of set up the context of what's, of what's happening in the passage, right? And then right, right before, can we turn me down a little bit? I'm hearing myself. Right before we, um, we jump in, what we're seeing is that Jesus is going through and he's teaching all of the parables and he's talking about, and we just came out of a section in, you know, in the book of Luke, where Jesus, through these stream of parables, was talking to um, his disciples about the cost of being discipleship, that this is just after the announcement that Jesus made to his people or to his disciples that I must go back to Jerusalem, right? And we get the idea of the passion of the Christ. And not only must I go back to Jerusalem, I'm going to die in Jerusalem. Peter does his rebuking. And, but Jesus basically starts to kind of press in. He says, not only Am I, must I go to Jerusalem? But if you want to follow me, you must also take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And then he goes into a stream of parables where he says, and he talks about, and he refers to through some stories and parables about the cost of following Jesus. That he doesn't want to do a bait and switch. He wants you to be real clear that there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost. And so what we see in the parables that Jesus is both, through the parables, he is both basically encouraging, but he's also warning. He's encouraging, but he's also warning. And through these stories, they are meant for us to be warning signs, but also kind of the empowerment to press on, to press on. Because he said, hard times will come. And if you're going to follow me, you must also take up your cross. You must also deny yourself in order to follow him. And so what we see here is taking place. And so Jesus comes and then he goes and then we get into the um, Luke chapter 13. And Luke 13, basically, Jesus comes and he heals a woman. But instead of being excited about people healing the woman, what, the, what happened is that the Pharisees, the leaders of that day, they get mad. Why? Because Jesus heals this woman on the Sabbath. 
And they begin to rebuke Jesus about this is not proper. And then he began to warn people that, you know, basically he can't say don't stop healing people. But like he basically says, they, if you're going to heal people, Jesus, just don't do it on the Sabbath. And then Jesus says, you hypocrite. Right. He says, don't you on the Sabbath day go out and release your oxen and take off the thread so your oxen can go graze. Right. And you saying that this woman who has been in bondage for multiple years and that I have freed her of her affliction. And, you know, in the same way that you free your oxen every week. And he says, you are actually going to try to rebuke me, you hypocrite. And then Jesus goes in, he says, let me just kind of break this down because the, like that doesn't make them any more happy, but the people rejoice because the people understood something that oftentimes that religious leaders don't, don't right? When it comes to kind of like we, we're professionals, like we do this officially, we do this full time. And, and so it's just kind of like we think about the nook and crannies, we think about the jot and tittles, but Jesus is saying, listen, the jot and tittles all are for a goal, and the aim is that we would fall more in love with God and more in love with one another. And this is the reason why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 22, he says, all the commandments hang on the fact that you love God and you love one another. And he says, you hypocrites, you missed it. You're more concerned about maintaining your laws than loving, than, than actually doing what the laws were intended for. The law's intentions is that we would be more in love with God and with one another. And so Jesus comes and he, says, he both warns them and he also encourages them, right? And so one of the things that we, that we see that, you know, and I use this analogy or this example, that in a cold and in a dark world, would you rather have a lamppost or a bonfire, Right? You see, and on one end, we see that if you have a lamppost, that it does solve one of the problems in a cold and dark world, that a lamppost will bring about light, but it doesn't address the issue of cold. But you see, but a, a bonfire brings both light and also heat and warmth, Right? And see, this is what happens oftentimes for us that we get, when we get um, in our head and we get in our mind, when we become real good theologians, but terrible practitioners. It was kind of, uh, reminds me, um, I was talking to my wife earlier, and she was just talking about how she was with one of our children, and she was helping one of our children do an assignment. It was my youngest child. He was to do an assignment for his class. And the assignment was you know, that was, that was given, she said, well, let me just see the work that you had. And so she began to work with my son and, and basically they, they started and he decided to do his assignment on Kobe Bryant. And as he was doing, he started listing all different types of facts about Kobe Bryant that, you know, who Kobe Bryant was and just different facts and different things and different stats about Kobe Bryant. The problem was is that at the end, Angie, after she kind of spent the time and as she was fixing up the grammar and doing all the things, she says, Nate, let me just see the, the final, let me see the instructions one more time to make sure that we've done it right. She then goes and she finds that although um, the assignment was not just simply about facts of Kobe Bryant, but it was talking about how Kobe Bryant or how a significant person leverages their influence. And so... What, what she realized then and what we realize oftentimes in our life is that we can have the right facts, but the wrong application. You see, there was nothing wrong with anything that was said in the paper. But 
truth be told, if my son would have turned that paper in, he probably would have got an F. Because it was right facts, but it had the wrong application. The wrong application. And today, this is what we're going to talk about. Jesus is going to give us some understanding about a subject that he talks about almost more than anything else in the New Testament. He's going to talk about the kingdom of God. And based upon your translation that on the low end, the kingdom of God is referred to over 126 times that he talks about, that he refers to the kingdom of God. But on the high end, in some of the um, older translations, it, it refers to the kingdom of God over 200 times. So this is something that Jesus wanted us to understand, that Jesus wanted us to know. And so today, this is where we are, this is where we find ourselves, that when it comes to the kingdom of God, that I often see us, we understand the facts about God's kingdom but we, are, we often fall short in, in a right investment or application of God's kingdom. So today, really, what I want to talk about is a kingdom investment. Kingdom investment. In Luke chapter 13, we see the reality that, that is going on, that these parables that Jesus has been given has been meant to both warn the disciples about the difficulties, but also to encourage them to remain faithful. To remain faithful. So let's pick it up. Let me read it again. It's a short um, section, so let me read it again. In verse 18, he says this, Jesus, he's talking about, he said, therefore. So that therefore automatically sets. Remember, we've said it multiple times that anytime you read the word therefore, you got to read why it is therefore, what it's there for, right? And then you would often find back the understanding of what the context in which it is stated. So he says, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what can I compare it to? And then he gives two examples, right? Two things that he compares what the kingdom of God is like. He says, the first one in verse 19, he says, it's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Verse 20 you know, he says, all right, let me just kind of break that. So one, it's like a mustard seed. But then in verse 20, he says, what can I compare the kingdom of God to is like leaven that a woman took and mixed it into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leaven. And so really what we, Jesus does is that he establishes the background of explaining what the kingdom of God. And he lets him know that is in contrast to what the Pharisees or the religious leaders were teaching. He then comes and says, let me explain to you what the kingdom of God is like. And in here, he basically tells us to consider two things. He, can, he tells us to consider two things. He, one, he tells us to consider the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed. But the other thing that he tells us to consider is that of leaven. And he brings out these two points to both have some commonality, but also to um, bring out um, some, some uniquenesses in both of them, right? On one end, he talks about this idea of a mustard seed. And if you understand mustard seed, mustard seeds are small. 
right? They're tiny. But then on the other end, he talks about this idea of leaven. And one thing that we know about leaven is that leaven that, that, is, that we put into kind of flour and we bake, it's unnoticed. So two of the things that I want you to understand that when Jesus is wanting us to understand about the kingdom of, of God, that when, when we are walking in the everyday and on this, in the here and now, that oftentimes we can see the kingdom of God as both small and unnoticeable. And so right here, I really believe Jesus displays a huge sense of empathy, a huge sense of authority, that he understands that we come in, we sing these songs, that you are our champion, you are all these things. And then when we go out every week after singing these songs and declaring God's word, it seems like that we say God is big, but it seems in the everyday world when we are dealing with what's going on, overseas, when we see what's happening here in our neighborhoods, when we see what's going on in our country, it seems like the kingdom of God is not that big, but it's actually small. And it also seems that not only is the kingdom of God small, that seemingly it seems like that the kingdom of God is unnoticeable. How many times have we asked the question, where is the church? Where is the church in all of this? Where is God's representatives? When we're when referring to the kingdom of God. And so he comes in and he says, listen, what should what is the kingdom of God like? What can I compare it to? And he says, it's like a mustard seed. That a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Have you guys ever seen a mustard seed? Have you ever seen a mustard seed? You guys know what a mustard seed is? If you don't, we got a visual for you. On the end of your chairs, each row, there's a, a cup. I want you guys to grab it if you're on the, the ends of each chair. I want you to take one mustard seed. Be careful because you can easily lose it. Take one mustard seed and pass it down. And pass it, no, pass the cup down, Sam. <laughs> don't pass the mustard seeds down. Right? Take one Mustard seed and pass it down. Chris, let me get one. I didn't bring, I forgot to bring one up, actually. Let me hand it the other one thing, too. Right? And so in here, we got out and we had, we have mustard seeds. Right? And if you can see, you can't even zoom in to see how tiny this mustard seed is. You see, right here, Jesus doesn't really go and talk about the smallness of the, must, of the mustard seed. You would have to go to the book of Mark um, when he tells the parable or the book of Matthew when he tells the parable about the mustard seed, that this parable is in all of the synoptic gospels, the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that in Mark chapter 44 and 30, you can reference it and look at it later, this talks about that this seed is the smallest of all the seeds in the garden. That this seed in your hand is the smallest of all the seeds. But the reality is, is that even though it's the smallest of all the seed, it's going to grow up to be the largest plant in all of the garden. It produces, it says, large branches so that the birds of the sky can rest in its shade. And so what we see here is that Jesus takes this small seed, right, the smallest of the seeds that we have, and then in here, he talks about how this little seed, it can imagine this little seed growing up to being one of the largest 
trees. And it's actually not even a tree, but the largest plant in the garden that it becomes overwhelming in all. So it starts here. I couldn't bring in a lot of mustard trees. So instead, we have a visual for you. That this little seed, one seed grows into a tree, a plant, literally. That that plant, that plant is so large that literally it is two times, the the, the branches are two sides the arm of a man. That you can't just chop it down. You literally have to take a chainsaw in order to go, in order to take off its limbs. That's something so small. And so in Jesus is what he does. It's something that is, he shows a sense of empathy. He understands what it's like to go day by day and to seem like the, the kingdom of God is so small. But he recognizes, he says, but listen, those who walk by faith understand where we're going. That it's, becoming, it's going to become a massive, a massive tree. That that mustard plant grows to be in either the smaller end, 10 feet to 25 feet that comes from just that one. And so there's a few things that we need to understand when we talk about what Jesus is understanding that he gives us in these two parables. And in the first three, he talks about this idea of a mustard seed, that the the things that we need to consider, number one, is simply this mustard seed that's in your hand, it has the potency for ridiculous growth. For ridiculous growth. That if you look in some of the other passages when he talks about the mustard seed, he talks about the mustard seed in the same context of the other parables as a man sowing seeds. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, some good lands on good soil, some on bad soil. And then, you know, and he also talks about the birds in the air that come in and takes the bird. And if you understand what Jesus in context is saying in the other passages, that we recognize that the birds of the air are the enemies of the seed. Because they are the ones who come and don't let the seed germinate and it comes and it snatches it up and not needs to do. But what we see is the ridiculous nature of its growth. That's in the same way that when we talk about like, like sowing seeds in what we seem to be as small and unnoticeable, sowing seeds in the kingdom of God is equivalent to planting the smallest seed but producing or investing in the greatest results. It's, in, it's investing in the greatest results. But not only does he talk about its ridiculous growth, he also talks about its ridiculous strength. He talks about how it, because it produces these large branches, do you, and I think I've said, I've already said it, but do you know that the stems grow to be about as thick as a grown man's arm? And that's tough. That, again, we, it, it takes nearly a Um, a chainsaw to cut it down, that it's ultimately, you can't get rid of it, but and if you cut it off at its limb, that it grows quickly back up from its roots. That it's nearly impossible to get rid of. That it's resiliency, it's strength, that even in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of conflict, right, that we see its ridiculous strength this mustard plant, right? You see, one of the things that we don't understand, we don't understand how the kingdom of God remains. We just know that it's going to remain. That honestly, there's a time right now that that the church is on the defense in a lot of ways. If you look at social media, we're actually doing worse than the world is doing. 
that oftentimes that we got some periods in history that we go back and we're ashamed of what the church and how the church represented itself. But somehow God always has his remnant and that the kingdom of God remains, that his words, when he told his disciples, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, I am gathering a people, and the gates of hell will not prevail. There will be nothing that will be able to slow it down, nothing that will be able to shut it down, right? And this is where he understands it's resiliency, it's resilient strength. But not only is it ridiculous in its growth, it's resilient in its strength, but it is also resourceful in its benefit. One of the things that you recognize about that one little seed, that the resourcefulness of it, that it has many different uses, many different uses, right? We recognize that it's a mustard plant. And what do we get from mustard plant? We get flavoring for our food. I don't know how many of you like mustard. We get flavoring that come from that little seed, comes this massive. We get mustard plants. We, we get leaves, right, that are edible to eat. How many of us like mustard greens, right? So you got food and nourishment that comes from that seed, right? And parts of it, and parts of the plant that's also used for medicinal purposes that we have, right? And so there's so many benefits that we have. And one of the benefits that I've already alluded to here is that it even becomes something that's beneficial, not only for those who planted it, but it's also for those who nourish on it, but it also becomes benefit for our enemies. That the passage tells us that even the birds come, that what its greatest enemy in planting, that a bird coming and snatching it up and not allowing it to take its root, is the very thing that later on it provides nourishment for. It provides safety. That birds from all across the country, all across the world, come together and they sit and they benefit from it. Right? You see, the reality is, is that we oftentimes may not see the investment of a tree growing up to its totality, but what we do see is that there's no greater return on investing in the kingdom. Right? There's no greater return. The kingdom of God will be more massive than we can ever imagine. So what we see, again, with the kingdom of God, it's ridiculous growth, it's resilient strength, it's resourceful benefits. And out of that, what we see is that's kind of all of the things that we get from a mustard seed. We get from a mustard seed. But then he goes on and he says, gives us kind of a fourth thing that we can know about the kingdom of God. He says this, he says, again, he said. So this is the second part. The first thing is it gives us the mustard seed that, that oftentimes it seems small, but it's going to grow like ridiculously. It's going to be resilient in its strength. You can't take it down. It's going to be such a benefit for those in the generations to come. He gives us this, that even though it's small, it's significant. But then on the opposite side, what we see is that he says, again, he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? He says, it is like leaven that a woman took and mixed it into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. 
right? So Jesus, similar to kind of the introduction of the parable, he suggests basically a similar point. But the fact is, right, that even though both leaven, I got this, I couldn't pass you guys out leaven. It's, this is just the package. So this is your visual for leaven. But what we recognize and what we use is that we take leaven or what, you know, yeast, and we put it into kind of our baked goods so that the cake or whatever you're cooking could rise. And we know, and we've heard the statement that a little leaven raises up the whole, right? It's a little leaven. And so what he sees in the, where we talked about, even though it's very similar to the, to the seed, that it's small, but the one thing that you know is that whenever you're doing, you can't put leaven on top. Like if you had a, some some dough and you just kind of threw leaven on the top, it wouldn't work. It does, its components doesn't work from the outside in. But real leaven, what you have to do is that you have to mix it in. And once it's mixed in, it goes now unnoticeable. And so what Jesus is doing is showing the empathy that, yes, it's the kingdom of heaven and our investment ultimately in the larger scheme may seem like it's small, but it's going to become big. And not only does the kingdom of heaven seem small, but it also oftentimes may seem unnoticed. It may seem unnoticed because it's mixed in. And so he talks about how he takes a little bit of yeast and he mixes in all of this dough, right? And it says 50 pounds of dough that this woman, he takes, and he, she mixes it in. And then it says, until all of it was leavened. And so we see this idea of taking place of just both the, the smallness of it, but also the unnoticeable understanding. And Jesus says, I get it. I understand why it's hard. But understand that the righteous walk by faith. They walk by faith. You see, but the, the, the fact that yeast works inside and that it cannot ultimately change the dough when it's from the outside, but it's important that it is in, it's within it. And so, and we recognize, and I don't know if you, any of you guys tried to bake without yeast. Like you forgot the yeast, right? You're going to get something that's very flat and that doesn't raise, right? But what we see in this, this fourth principle that he says that it's irrefutable transforming power. That the kingdom of God has an irrefutable transforming power. He's, so we see that Jesus gives us these two examples to explain, to display his incredible empathy, but also his authority as he's talking about the kingdom of God. And as he's going, he talks about its ridiculous growth, its resilient strength, its resourceful benefits, but its irrefutable transforming power. That even though it's small and unnoticeable, at least in our eyes, it's significant in its impact. It's significant in its impact. But the question becomes, and what I love about Jesus is that it's not enough for us just to simply just know the facts about the kingdom. See, because the reality is, is that we can know the facts, but have a wrong application. We can put the right things and be really articulate about the kingdom of God. But see, Jesus, God, when he is communicating, he's not simply hopeful for us to be better at, better at Bible trivia. That's not his goal, right? 
And this is where we see faith without works is dead. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we want to have the right facts, but we also want to have the right application. And so what is the right application? That I really believe that it comes down to one word, to one word. And that word simply is investment. Investment. The question becomes is how do we invest even though we may seem like our investment may be small and even unnoticeable, how do we continue invest in God's kingdom in a way? Jesus doesn't leave it there with just simply a knowledge, but he also tells us what does that investment look like. Verse 22, and I think, I don't know if this is on the screen, but verse 23, it says this, and and in the CSB, and not all translations, but in the CSB, but in the word right there, that word right there is the word chi, chi. And that word in the Greek basically means and. The reason why that's important, that it's not, that, that we don't just leave it out, because what Jesus is doing, that as he goes in, he begins to talk about and, right, that he's saying that I am connecting, right? We talked about therefore, we talked about but, we talked about all those things, but the and is basically says, I am now connecting what I'm about to say to what was previously said. So Jesus didn't just leave the kingdom of God and just drop it and then go on to another subject. He's, he's demonstrating right here, it's connecting what we're going to read from 22 to 30 back to what investment looks like in the kingdom of God. So what we see is this, and, verse 22, and he went through one town and village and after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Making his way to Jerusalem. So the thought here is that he's connecting it because of that connector in verse 22, as he's going up and he's teaching from every city and every town on his way back, as he's going back to Jerusalem, guess what his message is? What do you think his message is? The kingdom of God. And so the thought is, is that now the disciples who are hearing Jesus constantly talk about the kingdom of God from city to city, village to village, they basically come to this, to, to this conclusion and they begin to ask him this question. They says, Lord, in verse 23, someone asks, are only a few people going to be saved? Are only a few people going to experience the salvation of the kingdom? Because as he's hearing about this, the smallness and what seems to be unnoticed, the disciples begin to wrestle in their minds and the question like, Lord, it just doesn't seem like anybody's getting it. Is it only going to be for the few? Are only the few going to be saved? And he says to them this, and this is where I get the word investment. Verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Why? Because, you got that word, because. Why? I tell you, many will try to enter, into, enter and won't be able once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. And he will answer you, I don't know you or where you are from. Then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught and, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you, where you're, where you're from. Get away from me, all you evil doers. Get away from me, right? 
And then verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. When you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, there it is, there's the tithe. Right? When you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out, they will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, to share the banquet of the kingdom of God. Note this, some of you will, la- will some, of, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. You see, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God as he goes through this, but oftentimes we'll stop there because we think just simply an intellectual assent to the facts of God is enough. And Jesus says it's not just about the facts of God, it's about the right application of God. It's the right, about the right investment into God's kingdom. And so when we talk about investing in God's kingdom, or another way to say it, investing in God's salvation, because we recognize that God's kingdom is about drawing men to himself and living under the rule and reign of our sovereign. That he is the king of this kingdom. That there's three things that I want to do and we'll end there. There's three things that we pull from this passage. Verse 24 and 25, when we talk about investing, we want to invest in God's kingdom presently. We want to invest in God's kingdom Presently, it tells us in 24, it says, make every effort to enter into the narrow door. Make every effort. You see, my fear is is that too many of us think that we have time. We have time. I'll get to it. I know when my grandma, you know, when I get there, when I get there, that's what I'll be, take my faith seriously. When I get older, when I, right, we got time to kind of, you know, be who we are now and we'll, we'll get there. But we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Jesus was talking about be ready. Be ready at all times. Don't let the lights come down. Right? Always be ready. And we say that if you always stay ready, then you don't have to, you don't have to get ready. So he tells us Jesus has already given us those parables. Stay ready. So he said we ought to invest in the kingdom now, presently. But not only does he tell us to invest in the kingdom presently in verse 24 and 25, he also tells us to invest in the kingdom specifically. Specifically. Well, let me just say this before in verse 24 and 25. When he says, make every effort to enter through the the narrow door, because I tell you, many of you will not enter and won't be able once the owner gets up and shuts the door. Once the owner gets up and shuts the door. What you got to recognize, and when we talk about understanding, like, invest in the kingdom presently, the the thing that you got to understand is that the people that he's talking to was never inside the the banquet. Because when the owner gets up and he goes and closes the doors, it's only the people who are outside the doors. It was only the people outside the doors that, that are outside. But everybody who was inside the doors are experiencing the salvation of the Lord, right? So we have to understand that, right? But not only that, in verse 26, he talks about invest in God's kingdom specifically. So invest in it presently, but also invest in it specifically. Verse 26 and 27, he says this, then you will say, we ate, we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from, 
get away from me, evildoers. Two times he says, I do not know you or where you are from. I do not know you or where you are from. Verse 25 and 26, um, or 27, he tells us, he repeats, I do not know you or where you are from. You see, the, the problem is, and my fear is that too many of us think that we're in the kingdom, but we're kingdom adjacent. We're kingdom adjacent. We think that we're in the kingdom, but the Bible says that you can love, you can feed the homeless, you can do all these good things, but if you do it without love, you're like clanging cymbals. Our kingdom adjacent activities is not enough. Good is not good enough. You got all the facts, but the wrong application. Right? We are in a time of kingdom adjacent things that you can't talk about salvation. You can't talk about Jesus. You can talk about all the other things, but not Jesus. We can talk about every other thing, but when, as soon as you talk about Jesus, he's like, man, why are you so narrow? Why are you so... When, as soon as you talk about salvation, again, that's what he said. He framed this up and he said, the Lord's salvation, will everybody be saved? Who will be saved? We can feed the homeless and do all the good things, and those are all good things. We're not here to pit, but if you do, you can, all, you, all we are doing, if we just feed the homeless, we are sending a man to hell with a full stomach. They're, they're still outside of the doors. Jesus is saying when we talk about the kingdom, let's talk very specifically about God's kingdom. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. That Jesus' kingdom is about drawing people to himself. So yes, continue to do all the kingdom adjacent things, but also understand that our kingdom adjacent things is not the same thing as the kingdom. It's not the same thing. So we got to invest in God's kingdom specifically. Finally, we got to invest in God's kingdom eternally eternally. Verse 28 and 29, it says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there is that word, in that place. In that place. What are we talking about? In that place is when, the idea of when you see, is where are we going to rest our souls for eternity? Where are we investing? And basically, Jesus is saying this is like, the fear that he has and what he's warning us again is that we can be successful but we can be successful in all the wrong things. We'll be successful in all the wrong things. It's like climbing up a ladder to find out that it's leaning against the wrong building. It's like sitting with your son and getting all the facts straight to recognize that it's not about the facts, it's about, the, about his impact. And that we're going to go up at the end and get graded and we're going to find ourselves failing the, failing the test. Failing the test. Ultimately, what, what are we saying? Ultimately, what we're saying is that if you invest in God's kingdom, presently, specifically, and eternally, you will share in God's blessings. If you invest in God's kingdom, you will share in God's blessing. How do I know that? Because, again, it says this. They will come in from the east, the west, from the north to the south, and it says to share. You know what that word share is? It, the Greek word is kononia. You will have fellowship. You will have partnership with him and with his people. That if, in, in having partnership with him, we receive 
the blessings that he has. But know this, that the greatest blessing that Jesus could ever give you is his presence. It's not a city on a hill. It's not a throne. It's not a, you know, all the things. It's his presence. You're in the house with him. You're in the house with him. Some of you guys might be saying, How is okay, this is kind of confusing because is this a works-based salvation? Are we talking about doing these things in order for us to maintain when it says make every effort? It's like, it's like I thought it was by faith alone, through grace alone. Like, like are you saying that we got to earn it? No. And this is why, again, you go back to the very beginning. It says make every effort in verse 24 to enter through what? The narrow door. And we recognize that based upon Jesus' teaching, what that narrow door is. Jesus says in John chapter 14, 16, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. You see, we don't make every effort to earn our salvation. We make every effort to rest in our salvation. And it's out of our rest in our salvation that we manifest our kingdom investment. The Bible tells us that we are saved by grace, that it's a gift of God, not of ourselves, not of our works, but it's a gift of God so that no man could boast. But even though we are saved by grace, we are saved for good works, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for good works. And this is the age-old argument. Paul says, faith without works is dead. And James says, but if I don't see your works, then your faith is dead. Your faith is dead. And so we put all of our confidence, all of our trust in the person and the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And this is where we find our confidence in making that investment that we are to constantly remind ourselves of the salvation that God has given us and make the investment, even though that investment may seem small, and even may seem unnoticeable, but it's going to have significant impact for, you, for, for, for eternity to come. So this is my prayer for us. This is my prayer for us, that we would embrace the narrow road, the narrow investment, and the personal work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that in that, we would trust in him for our salvation, and we would respond out of our salvation with the kingdom investment. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.